What's your brand? You know, the companies you choose to drive, wear, and drink, or go to your favorite food spot? We have become accustomed to living within a cultural identity of brands that, to some degree, define us to other people and increasingly to ourselves. The same is true of our beliefs. Considering how quickly ideologies have come and gone as of late, it is of no surprise that we are living in a cultural identity crisis and that people are struggling to keep a true perspective on themselves, others, and God. Current research indicates that our youth are struggling to navigate three key questions regarding identity, personal, communal, and spiritual. AC is working on a new three-part video series to provide discussions and direction as we build our identity on a biblical foundation that can weather the storms of life. Join us for the premiere of Branded Rethinking Identity, Episode 1, hosted by Columbia Bible College. Be among the first to see Episode 1, Personal Identity, and hear from the Branded series writers, filmmakers, and surfers. When? So glad you asked. March 10th, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Where? Chapel at Columbia Bible College, 2940 Clearbook Road in Abbotsford, B.C. For those attending in person, in accordance with provincial mandates, vaccine passports will be checked at the door and masks will be required. This event will also be streamed. Hope to see you there. And now for the podcast. Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with a dear friend of mine, Grace Rose. She is actually a member of the church that I am a part of and really, really excited to have her here today. Grace, how are you doing? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a super fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm honored to, to have you on the show. There's, there's so many layers to just our relationship as, yeah. as, you know, in building a church and also within just our context that I really feel is going to be it's going to be enriching for people, especially it being Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trivia around yeah. it. There's so many aspects of it where people don't know what to say, how to respond. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I totally. don't want to do the wrong thing. So I just figured, let's have this, this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just a little bit of background on Grace for, for you listeners. Grace Rose is a storyteller, artist, and creative from Vancouver, BC. She's born and raised on the South Side of Chicago. South Side. Let's go. <laughs> she comes from a multicultural and multi-ethnic context that has informed her mindsets towards race, ethnicity, and culture. She holds a BA in communication and a minor in fine and performing arts from Simon Fraser University, where she studied the role of popular culture in shaping and influencing constructions of race, ethnicity, and gender. She has a heart for the local and global church to engage well in conversations of diversity and to see the church establish the standard of what global unity can and should be. She currently serves as the media and communication director for her home church of LoveQuest International Church in Vancouver, BC, under the leadership of Pastors Terrence and Julia Richmond. Let's go. Let's go. That's a, see. That's a bio with some sauce on it. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> there just we a little go. Bit. But uh, yeah, Grace. So that's what your bio says. But yeah. how would you describe yourself? I mean, the, you are multi-talented. Your your background is so diverse. Yeah. It's like, how did you get here? Like, what's going on? Great question. Um, so yeah, I was originally born and raised in, uh, Chicago on the South side. Uh, and so growing up in Chicago, uh, there's so many intersections of different cultures, different ethnicities. Mm -hmm. Um, Chicago 
in the state of Illinois is um, really the reason why Illinois can be considered a blue state. Okay. Uh, if we want to get into some of that that conversation, like right. straight off the get, uh, <laughs> once you leave kind of the city of Chicago and leave uh, Chicago city limits, it gets real. You don't want to stop in some places with this skin tone <laughs> real quick. Right. Um, but Chicago is such a beautiful, beautiful city. I love the fact that it's kind of like in between New York and L.A. in terms mm. of vibe. So we're not New York. We will make it very clear to you that we are not New York. Right, right. Uh, Chicago is a lot more blue collar. Uh, there's a lot more um, like European migrants in Chicago. So you have a lot of Polish immigrants, a lot of Italian immigrants, Irish immigrants. Mm. Um, you also have lots of African-American people, lots of um, Hispanic and Latino cultures, um, Asian cultures as well. And they all kind of like intermix in certain areas, but it also remains a very segregated city. Um, so being from the South side, the South side is predominantly African-American and then the North side tends to be predominantly Caucasian. Um, and so that's why, you know, if somebody asked me what baseball team I root for, I say I root for the White Sox because the White Sox had a team for the South side there you and go. the Cubs are for the North side. But when the Cubs <laughs> won the World Series, everybody was excited. So I'll, I'll right. cheer for them then, but I'm pretty much a Sox fan through and through if I actually care about baseball. Okay? <laughs> um, and so that's kind of my background there. And so so um, my family is a multicultural family. So my parents are of so many different cultures and ethnicities from the get-go. So my mom is black and Chinese. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad is also African-American. He's European. There's some indigenous in there. My great-grandmother was actually uh, from the Cherokee Nation, uh, and she had my grandmother um, many, many years ago when interracial marriage and all that kind of stuff was actually illegal in the United That's States, crazy. which is nuts. Uh, even when my mom was born, I won't give away her age, but when she was born uh, in Los Angeles to a Chinese mother and a black father, her existence was illegal in a good chunk of the United States at that time. Uh, and their union Jeez. was illegal in the United States for a good chunk of time. But when we want to talk about a God that redeems and restores. Talk about it. Right there. Yeah. Um, and so coming from that context, there was so much culture represented in our home. All of my, my storytelling, my creativity is deeply informed by the African-American church mm -hmm. and by the African-American church tradition. Um, but what's ironic is that I grew up in what I affectionately term as a Pentecostal Catholic church. Um, <laughs> is so that it was, possible? It is. It is. Uh, the faith community of St. Sabina on the south side, Auburn Gresham. Uh, it's one of the, in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the United States. When you want to talk about gun violence, the numbers are ridiculous and they always have been. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really beautiful is that this community uh, led by the Reverend Dr. Michael L. Flager, who is a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed German man uh, wow. who has such a heart for the city of Chicago, has such a heart for African-American people, mm. uh, has such a heart for equality and justice. And he was one of the first major spiritual leaders in my life outside of my parents. Uh, and as I was reflecting and preparing for today, I realized in God's sovereignty, growing up, I never encountered mean white people. Hmm. I only encountered white people that loved me. I only encountered white people that embraced all of who I was. And I praise God for that Amen. now, because what it does is it allows me to enter into these conversations and spaces without hatred or without a chip on my shoulder or yeah. without um, that burden, because yeah. I know that it's possible to see all nations exist in unity. And so I firmly believe and know that I build upon his work yeah. uh, and what I do now. And there were lots of other leaders that were around that informed that work as well. Uh, another super influential person 
in my life is the Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, who is a powerhouse of a woman. She's been doing this work on racial reconciliation in the church for over 30 years. Like she was doing it wasn't wasn't cute. It wasn't glamorous. Now it's trendy. Now it's Mm -hmm. hot. But she laid that foundation. Incredible, mighty woman of God, uh, super prophetic in the way that she ministers comes a lot from that African-American church tradition as well, mm-hmm. but knows how to blend that like theological element to it. Yeah. And so a lot of the ways that I began to engage with race, with all that kind of stuff was deeply informed by the way she did it um, yeah. and some of the way that uh, Father Mike did it as well. Um, and so then as I grew up, got more into high school and college, got way more into social justice and activism and all that kind of stuff. And for a minute there, it got a little, a little heavy handed, I will admit. Uh, <laughs> but right around the time when that happened, the Lord brought me to our current church, Love Quest. And so uh, through our pastors and walking with me through that journey, I loved that they were never scared of that part of me. Mm. They actually cared for that part of me, protected yeah. that part of me, but taught me how to refine it and taught me how to have agape love be the foundation of any of that work. So they're like, no, don't lose your edge. Don't lose your swag. Don't lose that. Let's just refine that um, and give you some more skill. So that's a bit about me. That's how I ended up here. Um, Like you said, I'm a creative. I, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I make social media content a lot. I do a lot of video editing, graphic design, I write music. Um, And again, all of that informed kind of in that, in that context. That's so incredible to hear because one of the areas where we definitely relate is for the listeners that know, I, I was adopted, right? And for those that don't know, I was adopted. And so <laughs> very much the same thing. My early experiences um, were were friendly, loving white right. people, right. right? And it's it's always been challenging, especially when you think about some of the recent arguments and conversations within the Black community. There's been such a disdain towards assumed sympathies, right? Yeah. Like, what do you mean you, you why why are you supporting white folks and da 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 like excuse me? Yeah. Like and you don't this, know my and, story. Right. You don't right. know my story. Exactly. And the challenge that comes with that too is when you start talking about you're talking to Christian people who have this perspective. Right. Right. And I think that's that's what is is leading us to our conversation today beautifully. Today we're talking about tokenism and and the church. And and so for those of you who don't know what tokenism, we're going to go through just a basic uh, definition of what that is. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time, but the, the, the goal of this conversation is to really allow the church as a whole to better understand how to do diversity well without it becoming something that appears like a PR stunt, right? So uh, Grace, why don't you, what, would you be willing to give our, our listeners a definition or your definition of what you would call tokenism? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think it's important too, before we even engage in this conversation, immediately, I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, I don't care if you're Latino, I don't care if you're Asian, you have to be willing to put yourself down That's right. and put on a mindset of love and put That's on right. a mindset of agape. So because if you don't have that from the beginning, any conversation will go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be willing to be wrong, you have to be willing to be challenged, you have to be willing to listen. That's right. Um, and so when you adapt that posture, instead of taking a posture of defense, you're then able to be on the offensive, mm. which then enables you to engage in this in this conversation in a much more healthy way. And so initially, as I began to kind of like dig into this idea, I think tokenism at its simplest form can be kind of defined as as a simple way of making you feel like you've done something, Mm. but being able to choose out of intentionality. Right. 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 And I think it really boils down to your heart posture, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a church 
in a small town in rural Ontario, statistically speaking, there aren't going to be a lot of folks of color in that. That wouldn't shock me, I should say. (laughs) It it wouldn't shock me if your church congregation is 98% European, right? That wouldn't shock me. But when you do encounter difference, when you do encounter the other, do you elevate them because it makes you feel good about yourself Mm -hmm. or because you gain something? Or do you elevate them and honor them and revere them from a posture of wanting to learn and invite them into yeah. your community. And so I think it could be easy. And I think it's actually too simple to be like, Oh, tokenism is just when you have one. of right. yeah. that, Cause sometimes you just, that's just the reality mm-hmm. and that's okay. But outside of that one, what are you doing to intentionally engage yeah. with diversity beyond what's easy? What's and what's convenient. Yeah. Um, And so I think when you adapt a posture of intentionality, it it makes the opportunities for tokenism to actually come down a bit Mm -hmm. because you understand there's not one singular experience. There's not one perspective. There's not one way to do this. But if you allow yourself to stay in the realm of the one, then you actually are doing yourself a disservice because you're robbing yourself of so many other opportunities, stories, and contexts. You know what I mean? Like, I look at us, for example, like, you're a black man, I'm a black woman, we both live in Canada, we both weren't born here. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I could write all these things down, like, two black people that weren't born here, right? Right. But your black person that wasn't born here story is very different from my black person that wasn't born here story. Exactly. And so, to assume that your black person that wasn't born here story is the only black story that can exist Mm -hmm. that can lean more into that tokenism component. And you rob yourself of the opportunity of like, okay, that's your story, but mine is different. Not one isn't better or worse. It's just different. Right. Um, And so being willing to cultivate that intentional difference around you to give you a more well-rounded perspective, I think is really crucial. Yeah. That's so good because I, I was just going to say there, there definitely is such a thing as cultural ignorance and totally. I don't think it gets talked about enough. And I think this is where, where the flip side can happen, where bl- the black community needs to be a safe place for that education as well. Right. And so they kind of go hand in hand in order for us to be a safe place. There needs to be given safe opportunity, Absolutely. right? Where it's not an ex- exploitative opportunity, but more right. of, Let's educate so we can grow, not just right. so we puff ourselves up with knowledge. Because I remember in Bible college, there was a lady, bless her, bless her. I'm not going to say the college because I don't want anyone to get in their feelings. <laughs> but she was walking around and she came up to me and said, oh, Troy, why aren't, why aren't you at the, the African dinner that we're, that we're holding right now? I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually not African. Right. And the look on her face was like, you're not? Right. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, oh, man, here's someone who has done work overseas, has gone to Africa, has mm-hmm. ministered, is doing what she can in the community for the African people. Right. But even within her own cultural ignorance, was surprised to meet a black person who was from the Caribbean. Right. Right. And, you know, we're not going to go start dancing into the whole conversation of the diaspora. Oh, but, that's a whole nother whole Right. Nother but this is where true advocacy and becoming an ally. And not just an ally to a specific group. I think this is something right. that's really important to, for people to understand. Advocacy and being an ally, as far as, as far as a lot of people understand, it's like, well, I'm an advocate for the Black community or right. an advocate for the Indigenous community. 
when really, when it comes down to the heart of God, it's you need to be an advocate for people. Now, right. what we're not saying is the all lives nah, matter conversation. That is different. not what we're saying. That's different. Not every house is on fire. When there right. is a house on fire, what I'm saying is that doesn't matter who's in there right. for me. Right. I, I The same level of equity needed to, to help help that community, I'm going to give to the next community. Exactly. Exactly. But what would you say are some things like perhaps in your in your in your time within I guess experiencing the church in the United States to mm-hmm. hear how how have you seen differences in 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 that level because I I mean you're coming from a church where in Southside Chicago that had a white pastor in a predominantly black community and right. now we're in <laughs> we're in Vancouver area with a black pastor who has it is a predominantly white community. It's like the flip. Yeah, how have, how have you seen overlap there? Yeah, I think what's really cool is I have the privilege to be able to say I've never felt tokenized in any of my churches. Mm. Um, actually, mm, let me correct that. The church I was at before Love Quest, which again, I will not name names. There were times where I felt like the only one. Mm. And that wasn't necessarily anything intentional that they were doing. It was actually unintentional, which almost makes it a little bit more hurtful because it's that passive, I'm not even going to bother to engage with intentionality. Mm. Um, and it's almost like if you choose to not engage with me intentionally, at least I know how to respond to that. Right. At least I know, okay, I know what game we're playing. But when people choose not to respond unintentionally and just allow, like you were saying, that cultural ignorance, which is a very real thing, because that cultural ignorance, sometimes it comes from you haven't had to know, you haven't needed to know, and so you haven't bothered. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's real. And if that's your starting point and you're listening to this podcast, that is okay. Mm-hmm. You are not expected to know everything and understand everything. Right. But the minute you become aware, the minute you begin that process of renewing your mind, then you're accountable for that information. Um, and so at least in, in my two, you know, comparing kind of the, the Chicago experience to the Vancouver experience, my current Vancouver experience, I haven't experienced that. And I really praise God for that. And I think yeah. that comes from the intentionality at the head. I'm going to use the word intentionality a lot if you can't tell, <laughs> um, but it starts at the head. And so, you know, when I look at the, the church in Chicago, uh, father Mike was very intentional to have all nations and people represented mm. in platform, in leadership. Like it wasn't just upfront. Like he understood the importance of access to information for these kids that are growing up yeah. in poverty, have no dads. So the way he shaped and dealt with that intentionally was, you know, he would invite these black figures and artists and creatives and speakers to come and speak. So as a kid, I've heard, you know, the late Dr. Maya Angelou, Harry Belafonte, like Mm -hmm. Winnie Mandela has come and spoken at our church, Dr. Cornell West, like all of these influential, affluent black leaders, he would bring them to the church and have them speak. And it wasn't just an opportunity to be like, Ooh, it's Harry Belafonte, but it was an opportunity to learn from elders. And he was intentional too in they would charge for these because, I mean, you know, these folks aren't cheap. You know, yeah, you got to right. pay them what they're worth. Right. But at the same time, he also understood the community he was in. So if you were a student and you wanted to come, he wouldn't charge you. 
like they had ways of getting rid of those barriers of access to That's information good. and wisdom. And he was very intentional in centering the African-American experience in the way that we practice church. So we grew up with a choir. We grew up with, you know, he was a hooping and hollering pastor. Like <laughs> all of that, you know, you hear the organ and the rise and the fall and the church. Like, that was all a part of the experience. You know, even down to the vestments that he wore were inspired by uh, like traditional Nigerian clothing. Like it was that experience was represented in all areas and all facets. Um, and even, you know, there was a, a large Hispanic and Latino community that was a part of our church. And so he would have them come and read the word at different times and like, you know, different creative moments would involve all of these, mm. these cultures. And what's really beautiful is that same thing is what's happening at my church here in Vancouver. It's happening yeah. at Love Quest. Like this past weekend, we just celebrated four years. Whoop, whoop. Um, and one of my favorite moments of the service was the God, you're so good. Oh, moment. man. It, and so uh, what we did is we had a bunch of different people in our community sing that old song, God, you're so good mm -hmm. in multiple different languages. Um, and what's so beautiful about that is it's declaring the goodness of God in all cultures and contexts. Yeah. And what got me this round was the fact that we had someone signing an American sign language. Yeah, that was why that was the one that <laughs> took me out. Why? And I said to the young lady that did it, I said, I was just so blown away at the fact that even if you can't speak, mm. there is always a way to declare the goodness of God. So good. Like when you understand that and realize that the goodness of God can be reflected in the multiplicity of our experiences, in the multiplicity of our faces, of our experiences, of our journeys, of our joys, that is how you can combat that tokenism is when you realize that the kingdom of heaven is gonna look mm -hmm. like the globe. Yeah. It's not going to look like your globe. It's going to look like the globe. That's so good. And so when you have that revelation and that knowledge and that understanding, that helps you to be intentional in stewarding mm. diversity in That's your context. So That's so good. Sheesh. Come on then. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there's a pastor on here or a listener here who has been kind of wrestling within their, their church context. And they've been feeling that conviction of, man, our, our church looks like one people group. Right. How do we go about diversifying without getting rid of all the people that are maybe doing a great job at what Absolutely. they're doing? It's essentially a deconstruction, but how do we deconstruct to rebuild that yeah. without, you know, a bunch of hurt feelings? That's a really good question. I mean, first of all, you said the big D word, you said deconstruction, <laughs> uh, which is, is a big conversation that I know the church is having right yes. now. Um, and I think it's important to understand that deconstruction is actually a really healthy process. Yeah. Um, if anything, I would argue that it's biblical because there's mm -hmm. Apostle Paul says you're working out your salvation, yes. right? And so some of what deconstruction is, is a working out of your salvation, yeah. right? And so I think, first of all, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader um, and you want to diversify your community, first of all, congratulations. Amen. Like yeah. start there. The yeah. fact that you even realize, hey, I want to be intentional in this. Congratulations. That's an incredible start. Yeah. Don't minimize that. Like I know one thing that's circulating around our church is this idea of celebrating often. Yep. That intentionality and that desire is something to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. Now what you do with that, that's where you, you know, you got to take the next steps. Um, and so I think it's important to acknowledge that diversity doesn't just happen, mm. right? You have to create it. Yeah. You know, so you can create this this plan and be like okay amazing we've got this five point plan on how we're going to make our church <laughs> multicultural and diverse and blah 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 and we're going to go Foolproof. okay cool 
But what are you doing to help make that happen? And so I think it starts with defining what you believe diversity to look like, Mm. right? So diversity, oftentimes it's like a a little trigger word when we're talking about race and culture and all that kind of stuff. But diversity can also speak to gender. It can also speak to socioeconomic status. It can speak to, um, you know, there's so much that, that makes up diversity. So it's not strictly within the context of, of race and culture. And so many of those other things can be overlaid on top of race and culture mm-hmm. and ethnicity and all that kind of stuff, but it's not solely limited to that. So I think first you have to define what diversity, what you want your church's diversity to look like. Yeah. Um, and so when you establish that, you know, Habakkuk two says, you know, write the vision down and make a plane that way they may see with it and run with it. And so when you make your vision simple and plain and clear as best as you know how, I can guarantee that as you put that before the Lord, you'll watch him be able to fill it. Yeah. You know, like that God, you're so good moment that we did. We said, hey, the first time we did it, I think we had like five or six languages. I can't exactly remember. But we said, man, every time we have an opportunity to do this moment, we're going to add more languages. We did that last in August of last year. So within less than six months, we added three new languages. Right. We added American Sign Language, we added Russian, and we added Swahili. But that didn't come because we just prayed it in. We were intentional. Created right? space for Exactly. It. Yeah. So when people came in and we found out, oh, hey, you're interested in joining the worship team. And I noticed your family may have a different cultural context. Hey, do you still like, you know, speak your, your native language? And like, we began to look for it. We yeah. didn't just let it happen. We, we sought it out and we created space for when it did come. We now have this opportunity like, hey, if you feel comfortable and ready, we would love to have you be a part of this moment. Mm. Um, and so I firmly believe before our anniversary next year, we're going to add at least another five or six languages. Like, But that's going to come because we've laid out the vision of what diversity looks like in our mm. context. So lay that vision out. Uh, secondly, you have to understand that true diversity is not performative. It's transformative. Woo! So if you are going to be authentically diverse, you have to allow it to transform the culture of your organization, whether it be your church, your business, your nonprofit, whatever it is, you have to allow it to transform. What do I mean? So sure, you can be intentional and hire, you know, two new black people, a new Hispanic person and an Asian person to, to, your, to your team, your staff, they're voted on your board. Great. But when they're in those board meetings, are you listening to them? Mm. When they're bringing up ideas, are you giving them weight the same way you would someone that looks like you? Or... Are you subconsciously processing that information differently, whether mm. you know it or not, right? And so you can always tell, um, I, like I mentioned, I have a background in communication, so PR, marketing, all that kind of stuff. And as someone that has that background, I can always tell when you have a person of color, maybe in the room, but you aren't actually listening to them. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. Like, you know, when you look at certain quote unquote media controversies, like, mm-hmm. you know, the H&M little boy wearing the, the hoodie that had a monkey on it. You're not thinking anything of that, right? But an African-American person or a black person in that room, but specifically African-American, I believe. Yeah, that would not fly. Look, if you listen to them, they would let you know, hey, so you know, there's this actually really unfortunate history of African-American people being seen as less than human and being compared to monkeys. Yeah. So to put that little child in that sweatshirt is actually to perpetrate that harmful issue, even though you mean no harm. I don't think H&M marketing and ad executives meant any harm in that. They mm-hmm. thought, oh, cute kid likes climbing on trees. Hey, you, why don't we put you in this hoodie? They, they, they didn't think that, right? No. And so sometimes those things are unintentional and that, you know, there's room for that. There's grace for that. But when you have 
people of color in your boardrooms, or if you, you have to be intentional, invite them in your boardrooms and invite them into those conversations. Are you listening to them? Mm. Because when you listen to them and apply what they're saying, that's how diversity becomes transformative. Right. So if someone points out an issue or a challenge or a frustration that they've encountered with your organization, don't take it as a personal attack on you. Right. You have to be willing to hear that. Take that to the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, someone has encountered this within our community and our context. What can we do to change it? Obviously, you have to be discerning because some people out there are just looking for reasons to get offended and reasons oh, yeah. to get upset. Like Cancel that is real. Crazy. It does. Like there, there are people looking for that. But at the same time, if you've done step one and adapted this heart posture of wanting to be diverse, when people bring up issues or conflicts and all that kind of stuff, when you take it to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to really give you that wisdom and give you that insight, then you'll know how to respond mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, but you have to allow diversity to transform your organization. And again, you may be in a context where visibly that's not possible. Mm. So you may still, you know, do all this work and you still come into your church and it still be 98% the same. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you are adapting a vision of diversity, a vision of intentionality, that's a part of what helps to shift. And so what that may mean for you. Okay. So maybe you're a church in a neighborhood that is, you know, 85% Caucasian all, you know, middle to upper class. And that's just the way it is. That's where God has placed you and planted you. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So are there opportunities then for you to seek out partnering with other churches? I was just thinking in communities. Like, and so when those opportunities come, don't just throw a check at them. Mm -hmm. Send people down there to build relationship with people. Right. So maybe what that could look like intentionally cultivating diversity is once a month having a worship night where you invite a bunch of different churches that all don't look the same, that all don't worship the same, that all don't sound the same and work together to create a moment of worship where all nations and voices are represented. That can be what diversity looks like. Have you ostracized your 98% Caucasian context? I mean, if you aren't willing (laughs) to put your, your, your own self down, then sure. But at the same time, you're acknowledging that, hey, the area that we're in is this way. But we're still going to be intentional to go outside of our comfort zone and outside of our box Mm -hmm. to press into that. And that's not solely limited to Caucasian churches. Like one thing I've observed in Vancouver specifically is there's a lot of single ethnic churches. And part of the reason why that exists is because it's these shared safe spaces like you were saying, like creating these safe spaces where people can just exist and be. And because the way culture works, there's certain codes and understandings and mm-hmm. stuff that you just don't have to explain, kind of get to be in a certain way. And that's cool. Yeah. But at the same time, the negative elements of your culture can also fester there. Yes. Right. So yes. if there's unhealthy attitudes towards family, women, the household, etc., and you stay in these single ethnic churches and these singular cultural churches, those can continue to fester Mm -hmm. in an unhealthy way. So when we talk about crossing borders and being intentional in diversity, this isn't solely a conversation for predominantly white churches. This is also a conversation for predominantly single ethnic churches. That's right. Just churches that all look the same, period. Because again, diversity looks different. Yeah. Um, And I think what's important to ask yourself is to there's kind of like a few questions that I would recommend that I think if you're a pastor, if you're a leader and you want to embark on this journey or this quest of diversity, I should say, um, there's a few things you can ask yourself. Number one, what are the silent expectations that are ingrained in your culture? Mm. So what are you communicating 
is the expectation to be a part of your culture, right? Those silent expectations, those are things we don't talk about. Yeah. They just kind of are, yep. you know? Um, what is your digital first impression like? So if I'm, say, you know, in my context, you know my, a little bit about my story, if I'm looking for a new local church community and I go to your website, do I see a place for myself there? That's right. Right there That's right. on your website, on your social media? Or do I have to kind of work at it? Right. Like, you know, that beautiful Hillsong song says in my father's house, there's a place for me in my father's house. Yes. But in this representation of my father's house here on earth, do I see a place for me or do I kind of have to work at it? Mm. Yes. There's a level of if God has called you to a church, regardless of what it looks like, there is going to be a place for you. Yeah. But are you are there silent expectations that you're not communicating that are necessary to be a part of your culture? Yeah. And when you encounter them, make note of them and figure out what you can do to change those. So good. Right? That requires intentionality that can't just happen. Um, and again, as you unravel these things, don't take it personally, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes this just comes from the way that we are. Like there's a way, there are ways that I communicate or that I speak or shorthands or whatever that I just have because of the way I was raised, because of the people I grew up around, because of my context. Some of them aren't so great and maybe need to be unpacked. Mm -hmm. But that's not a personal thing. That just... It just is. And that's okay. Yeah. The other thing I think is important is to ask yourself what your passive gatekeepers are from mm. engaging in your community. So a passive gatekeeper is like, is it this understood rule that like distressed jeans are not okay to wear to church? Ah, uh. <laughs> that's a passive gatekeeper, right? Yeah. So if I show up in like distressed jeans and I encounter someone, encounter one of your greeters at the front door that kind of like looks at me funny. Because like, yeah. oh, that's a that's an interesting outfit choice or, oh, I've I've never seen something like that. Like, yeah, that's a it's a passive gatekeeper. It's not something you're intentionally doing. Mm -hmm. you're, you don't have a sign outside your building or your organization that says, hey, no distressed jeans. But when I come in in my distressed jeans, what is your reaction yeah. to that? Yeah. And I think what's also important to note in that example, never once did I give any sort of racial signifier, any sort of cultural signifier, exactly. right? Like it has nothing to do with race. And yet, as you begin to unpack them, you will discover you will. racial mm -hmm. identifiers in that, right? And so you have to be willing to interrogate those and be willing to address them right away. And then the other question, now this is definitely like about you. Are you okay with being identified as the other? Why or why not? Yeah. And here's a hint. If you have a problem with being the other, it's probably because you were taught or you have a mindset that other is bad. Mm. And that's a heart posture that you got to check. Yeah. Right? Like even for myself and all my diversities and whatever, there have been times where I've been the only person with brown skin in a room. Mm -hmm. Right? And so in those moments... If someone identifies me as other, right, because I'm not like one of these things is not like the other. Like, I clearly look different. I talk different. I communicate different. Am I okay with that? Am I at peace with that? Yeah. Because especially as you begin to pursue intentional diversity, there may be opportunities and moments where you are the other. Right. And are you going to be at peace with that? Are you going to remember that your identity is, has to be found in being a son or a daughter? Yeah. Like that's what it boils down to. So when people try to place their expectations of the other on me, it doesn't bother me mm -hmm. because I've come to be at peace with being the other. Cause that can, that could walk you right into the code switching, Facts. which I, I mean, oh, I do it. 
Oh, absolutely. Like I do, I do it too. Like it, it's one of those things that I feel will always be the wrestle for someone who is from another culture or is, is of another demographic. There's mm-hmm. always this, like, and I've always kind of called myself a cultural chameleon. Like when yeah. I moved to California, I, I picked up more Spanish, but then I started getting like the Spanglish accent. And so when I moved <laughs> back home, and I'm around my Salvadorian friends or my, yeah. you know, my my Peruvian friends, and they hear me talk. They're like, "Bro, what what happened to you, man? Like you yeah. you starting to sound like us?" And I was like, "What?" And I and I remember going home. My mom was like, "Troy, why are you why are you talking like that?" I was like, "Mom, what are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> and she's like, "Yo, what's up, Bessie? <laughs> I mean, Ma." <laughs> See, I didn't go that far, but I, it it is it really is a real thing. And for for yeah. our listeners who don't understand what code switching is, it's really simple. It's I may have I may have grown up in Canada, but if I go and spend time in England, all of a sudden, just naturally because of I'm when you're an immersive person, you take on aspects of that culture. Right. You take on aspects of and it's and it's most prevalent in the language, in the way you speak, yeah. in the dialect. Yeah. And so I'm the Lord had never sent me to England, and I think that's why because I don't <laughs> think it would ever. <laughs> It would never go away. I could yeah. never come back from it. But. Or you could be sent to England and then come back with no accent. Because I lived in England for six months and I tried to come back with an accent <laughs> and I sounded terrible. Dang. But I think code switching too, yes, it's it's this idea of like turning things on and off. But I think some of it as well comes down to just the way you naturally communicate. So like mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. when I was in college, I would unconsciously code switch. So when I'm communicating with a professor, and I think we all code switch along like outside a race again. So like when you're talking to say your mom, the way you communicate with your mom is different from how you communicate with your friends. Mm -hmm. And that idea of, of code, it's this shorthand for understanding certain things. So like I can be in an event, like I saw this post the other day on Instagram. It was like, uh, you know, for black history month, what's one of your favorite things about black people? And one of my favorite things is the fact that we can read you for filth with a look. (laughs) Like there is a certain look that like when my mama or one of my aunties gives me this look, I'm like, ooh, they are not happy. Oh, we in trouble. But that's a code yeah. that's been taught to me as a child. Mm. I learned if I get this certain look from a mom or an auntie or a maternal figure, you better straighten up. Quick. Right. Quick. Or you gonna get you you gonna get it, right? And so <laughs> those are small codes that we just like pick up on that aren't necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. They just are. And so I think when it comes to that code switching, sometimes we do it subconsciously to try and blend in, like you say, yeah. or we do it because we're trying to assimilate. Like so then people, yeah, too. it's a defense yeah. mechanism for some people. Like, you know, you have to behave a certain way. Like if you're a lawyer, for example, there's a certain way that you're expected to behave mm-hmm. in court, mm-hmm. which is accurate and fair. But then the minute you leave that courthouse, you loosen in your tie up, yeah, your yeah, Jay-Z yeah. goes up and you're back to, you know, your authentic self, if you yes. will. But at the same time, there's also a level of not backing down from that that's needed. Right. Because what happens is as we continue to intentionally code switch, we then are reinforcing this narrative that there is a singular experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's getting back to what we were chatting about earlier about realizing diversity comes with a a multiplicity of experiences. And so, yes, there are certain ways and contexts that you should be communicating for the sake of professionalism and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But at the same time, be authentically you. Like be the totality of who you are. Um, And so learning how to to walk in that, but ultimately it boils down to having your identity rooted in Christ, period. 
Exactly. And if your identity is not rooted in Christ, I don't care what kind of accent you do or don't pick up. When that's all shipped away, do you know what God says about you? Do you know you're a son? Do you know you're a daughter? Do you know that you're loved? Do you know that you're the head and not the tail? Do you know that you're above and not beneath? Do you know that you are an overcomer? Do you know that you are crowned in victory? Like, do you know that? Because mm-hmm. if you know that, it doesn't matter how I speak. It doesn't matter how I talk. Any, if, even if I change that, it's not going to change the core of who I am. That's right. And the core of, of who God has made me to be at the end of the day. That's so good. Well, as we're we're coming to a close here, I would, man, I would just keep going. We would just keep rolling. Thanks. This has been so, so good. Um, even for even for me, it's been very informative. And it's always great to, yeah, to just get another perspective, but more, you know, dialing in uh, a little bit more. Because sometimes I think this is one of the issues with a lot of people in Black History Month is it, it's presented so broad. Yeah. When really the changes that are being asked of or are desired, you got to zero in. And I, mm-hmm. and I truly believe, and I think you, you've touched on that, the church is in a pivotal moment in time and space to really be the catalyst that we've been called to be. Absolutely. The catalyst for change. And, and I love how you spoke about, even when you're in a scenario where you, maybe you're, there's 98% of you are Caucasian or of a, another same. demographic, the same, period. Just the same. The partnership. Yeah. It's super, super important. That yeah. that's that is the body of Christ. That's so right. uh it's just healthy. Yeah. Right. And I think too, I mean, everybody, especially a lot of modern churches, they talk about the axe model, right? Where yeah. everybody gave as they have need. Well, when the Holy Spirit came mm. and was released, yeah, there was a multiplicity of languages. Yes. And because there was that, hold up, we see people that look like this speaking like this. Mm-hmm. We see people that are from over here, but they talking like this. What is going on? Yeah. And yet they were all unified of one mind, of one spirit, and of one body. Yeah. And so the Acts Church is a church of intentional partnership. Mm. You know what I mean? And so when we all give as we give into the bigger kingdom of God, then no one goes without. That's right. And so, like you say, it's that partnership that really comes down to it and relationship. Yeah. You know, because I think oftentimes we can look at partnership as... Oh, well, I do my missions trip to Uganda mm, once, once a year. Yeah. Cool. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But what are you doing to care about the community here? Right. You know what right I mean? Like hometown. I live in, you know, in the lower mainland and 15 minutes from my house is a reserve that does not have clean water. Right. That's 15 minutes from my house. That's I live a in a problem. very nice neighborhood. I am blessed. Like I have a car to drive. I have food on my table. I have clothes on my back. But 15 minutes down the street from my house, just past the Walmart where I go grocery shopping, there's a community of people that have unsafe drinking water. So what am I doing to care for my neighbor down the street? Mm -hmm. Like that's what that looks, partnership looks like. Yes, global missions is important and vital. Absolutely. That's, That's totally important. If that's where your heart is, that's amazing. But also look at the culture around you. Look at the world around you. And if you want to change the world, start by changing the world around you. So good. So good. Uh, Well, thank you, Grace, so much for joining us on the AC Podcast today. It is an honor to have you. If people wanted to connect with you, where would they go? Yeah, for sure. If you want to connect with me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the Grace Rose. Also check out a lot of the work that you see me doing. You can find at my church, LoveQuest International Church. You can follow us on Instagram at lovequestintlchurch. And what's really great is I can say for a fact that our church is intentional in cultivating this diversity to the point where sometimes I'll send drafts of videos uh, to our pastor and go, hey, you had three black people in a row, mix it up. 
Like, and you don't know that. I'm just making like, hey, this is fun. This person has energy. But the reason that my pastor calls my attention to that is because we want to be intentional mm. in the diversity. And so I can confidently say, you'll see all nations, you'll see all faces, all people celebrated at our church community. And if you're in the local Vancouver area and you want to be a part of a church that is multicultural, where your culture will be embraced, where your your voice will be welcomed, I cannot recommend Love Quest more. I might be biased because it's my <laughs> church community, but at the same time, as um, from the outside looking in, one thing I've heard consistently is that we're a church community that loves well, and we're a community where people can see themselves and feel represented. And so that makes me super, super proud. So yeah, if you're in the Vancouver area, come check us out. We just moved to Surrey, which is bomb. And so <laughs> we'd love to have you. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into the AC Podcast. It is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And as such, we are on all your favorite streaming platforms. Please engage with us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or you have comments, feel free to send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com. Until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.